Hello and welcome to the Moonshots podcast. It's episode 59. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, we are joined by the world traveler and co-host of the Moonshots podcast, Mr. Chad Owen. Good evening. Hey, good morning, Mike. It's so good to be back in the podcasting chair. It's been a little while for us. It has, and I think we have to uh, thank everybody for their patience as we have been traveling the world. Um, You have done several continents, I think perhaps all four continents, since we recorded the last Cal Newport show. And so it's been a busy couple of weeks. Hence, we haven't been as regular as we would like to, but we are back. We're in the swing of things. And Chad, do we have a show installed for our listeners? Uh, in in a way, this is music to my ears. Everything that uh, our author Cal Newport has to share with us in his book, Digital Minimalism. He he has to be almost like a like a, a long lost brother of yours. It's like when I hear him talking, Chad, it's like listening to you. Ah, I hate social media. What's this social thing? It's just distraction. I mean, it is like you two are brothers when it comes to your views on social media. Is that not true? Yeah. Well. I've been following Cal actually ever since I was in college. He was kind of a budding academic and has been blogging, I want to say, for at least 12 years. And gosh, yeah, I guess it would it would have to have been 13 or 14 years if, <laughs> if it was when I was in college. But uh, there's been like bits and pieces of all of these uh, practices over the years, but he's put them all together into one book, which I think is a really amazing manual for those of us that find ourselves with too little time being too distracted by our devices Mm. uh, and wanting to reclaim some of that. So I'm really excited. Uh, We've got a, a great bunch of clips here on the show. To, to help us do exactly that. Yeah, and so so the, this is the second Cal Newport book that we are digging into, and it's called Digital Minimalism, and the subheading is How to Digital Detox and Declutter Your Online Life. And I think it is so prescient, it's so of the moment, and um, it's such a powerful book by Cal, and we got lots of positive feedback on the last show on Cal Newport. And and he's got a tough gig. Uh, We have to admit, Chad, he's following up from our epic Simon Sinek series. (laughs) And Cal is holding his own and we're getting a lot of feedback from listeners. I particularly just want to say uh, a shout out to Roger and Kyra who reached out to us last week. And another person I want to reach out to is Renan who gave us a fantastic uh, review on the iTunes uh, podcast. So we're almost at 25 star reviews, which is pretty- Yes. Thank you. All you reviewers. Yay. Um, so uh, we know that you're hungry. We're hungry too, to, to dig into this. And I, I just want to set context about why I think Cal Newport and this work is so important. I have felt um, since the, prevail of social media. I've really felt this weird thing that particularly on my work weekends, I felt this uh, thing that I can't quite tune off, uh, turn off from work. And I felt a little, this, a very small underlying shadow of anxiety, no matter how relaxed, enjoyable my weekend has been, there's some, something there that I, that I didn't have in the early part of my career, even in times of much more stress at work, 
there seems to have been this new thing of just uh, some some clouds in the background of my mind. And after reintroducing myself to this book, I've stopped doing social media and email on Sundays and it makes a world of difference. So Cal has inspired me to do my own little detox. And I just want to say, this is why it matters. I think Cal Newport is onto something about how we use digital devices, how they're affecting our lives. And so for the next hour, we're just going to dig into his thinking. We've got some great, some amazing clips. This, Some of the clips that we've got here about how to pinpoint the problem, but Chad, like, having a sense of the context of the problem that we're in with digital devices and social media and how we might solve this problem. Cal for me is hitting a big home run. Yeah. I'm, I challenge everyone to, to pick up this book for the full program, but if anyone after this episode changes their habits, I would love to know how you have changed them because as Mike says, you know, picking up all of these practices from from Cal has made a big difference in my life as well in terms of separating that that cloud as you said mm. Mike you know leaving the cloud at work uh, and having home you know be a, a good place you know so you can spend quality time with with friends and family. Yeah, that's so true. So if you do have any thoughts or feedback for us, you all seem to have adopted Chad's favorite feedback mechanism, which is email. So you feel free to send us an email. Chad, do you, do you, it's been so long since we recorded. Do you even remember the email address for the show? You can always reach us at hello at moonshots.io. That shoots both Mike and I a message. Uh, we love hearing from all of you. And yeah, I'm, I'm very curious if and how our collective habits can change so that we can be a little bit more mindful about our habits when it comes to digital technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if email's not your thing, jump over to moonshots.io. You can get archives of the show, show notes, all those sorts of goodies. And um, yeah, don't be a stranger. And without any further ado, Chad, like let's rev up the clip engine. Let's get into the world of Cal Newport and digital minimalism. Where shall we start? Well, Cal's got some great resources on his website, and we pulled this straight from his Digital Minimalism 101 course. But uh, here is the concept in his own words. I'm Cal Newport. Welcome to Digital Minimalism 101. The goal of this course is to give you the tools you need to transform your digital life from something that distracts you from the things that are important and into something that supports true sources of meaning and satisfaction. The plan for this course is I'm going to present to you 10 big ideas from my new book on this topic. So the first two ideas are autonomy, not usefulness, and psychological hooks. So these ideas are going to detail what exactly is the problem that so many people are facing with their digital life. The next two ideas are digital minimalism and the three principles of digital minimalism. So this is where I will tell you about digital minimalism, which is my solution to these problems, and help explain the principles that underscore why it works so well. After that, we're going to talk about the digital declutter. This is a 30-day process to help you rapidly transform into the digital minimalist lifestyle. Now, this is something I've had over 1,600 people go through and give me detailed reports on. It works exceptionally well. I'm really excited to teach you about it. So after that, we're going to do four big ideas that are going to help you become a master at digital minimalism. 
advanced concepts for making this a sustainable and successful lifestyle. So these include solitude is vital, social media is not social, master leisure, and the attention resistance. We'll then end with a final idea, the app store wants your soul. And it's here that I'm gonna underscore that the stakes we're playing for with this topic really are quite important. The App Store wants your soul. Well, we're going to get so deep into that because there's never been a truer thing said. And uh, we're we're essentially, we've been fortunate enough from uh, Cal's public speaking to to essentially pick some of the best bits of this course that he was introducing then. So we're going to lock into the problem. We're going to talk about the business behind this and the true cost of social media. And then we are, I promise you, everybody, it won't be all doom and gloom. We will get into some of the solutions and and the opportunities that we have on the other side of this. It's so true, Chad, isn't it? Like there is such a big business behind how we use social media. And until I really got into this, even I didn't really appreciate the forget the 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 product itself, but the business behind our attention. Yeah, I We've talked about it before, but I think a lot of people don't realize that if you're not paying for the product, then yes. you are the product. Yeah, good point. And people have been saying that for a long time, I mean, essentially ever since Facebook got really popular in, in the late aughts. Mm-hmm. But here we are 10 years later and people still don't understand how it's it's the business of attention. And in a way, our attention's being stolen or we're becoming addicted to giving maybe things that we didn't intend to give our attention to, but we're finding ourselves giving ourselves, you know, giving all of our attention to it. And uh, being the academic that Cal is, um, everything that he talks about is very, you know, well-researched and backed by by many studies. And so the, the thing that I think he leads with is how addictive these technologies can be and the effects that it has on our psyches. And, and here's Cal talking about how addictive these digital technologies actually are. I mean, what you're looking for, and I, so I talked to some psychologists about this. I asked, like, what are we, are people addicted to their phones? What's the right terminology? Uh, and so what they told me is, okay, it's, it's, it's not like a substance addiction, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, a, with, with some rare exceptions that really show up more in, in video gaming. Uh, people's relationships with their phone is not like a substance addiction. What, what they would call it is something more like what they call a moderate behavioral addiction, uh, which means, you know, hey, if I took your phone away... You're not going to sneak out of the middle of the night, right, to get to an internet cafe or something, right? It's like a substance addiction. You're not going to steal your grandmother's jewelry or something, right? But (laughs) with a moderate behavioral addiction, what it's described by is if you have access to it, you use it more than is healthy, Mm -hmm. right? And so so that's the way that psychologists think about what's going on. And so the question is, do you have – the question to ask if you want to determine if you have one of these behavioral addictions to the phone is do you find yourself using it even when you know – that you'd be better off not. You find yourself using it when you're with your kids. You know, it'd be much better just to be here with my kids. You find yourself using it when you're with your friends and you can't help but get the phone out or you you know you should be sleepy, but you can't help but right. look at it. So it's, are you using it even when you know you shouldn't? Are you using it more than you know is healthy? That's the hallmark of what they call moderate behavioral addiction. It's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is look at my phone. Yeah. Before you pray? Yeah, it is. Because oh, I wake up because it's my alarm's on my phone too. Jesus. So in order for me yeah. to turn my alarm off, I have to look at my phone and then I'm like, okay, did anybody text me? Did anybody call me? Yeah. And then I don't touch my phone until at least an hour after I wake up. I get up, I pray, I read my daily affirmations, I get in the car, I ride. Like I really don't even get touch it till I get like like five thirty when I'm about to be at work. 
Oh, Chad, we're hooked. We're addicted. We can't help ourselves. We're waking up and it's, imagine that, it's the first thing that so many people do. Even those as devoted as those uh, those interviewers, you know, they, they pick up their phones before they pray. Right. Can you imagine? And I have to say that I am immensely proud that on most occasions I do not sleep with my iPhone in my bedroom. And I think it is kind of crazy that I think that that is such an achievement. But in this context of addiction, I think we can all appreciate that's kind of remarkable, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, in some ways, the simplest app on the phone, the alarm clock is like what you know, it's the keeps juice. it so close to it's us the juice. Uh, in the mornings yeah. and at night. You know, oh, I, I can't, you know, not have it in the bedroom because it's my alarm clock. Right. Well, I mean, we've had alarm clocks for what, like 180 years? Like, yeah, come on. Um, I, I don't think that's any excuse. I find this definition of moderate behavioral addiction really interesting because I think you know, people wouldn't see, uh, their phones as, as a, you know, addictive substance, like he right. says, you know, like cigarettes or, or, or drugs or anything like that. But this psychological term, moderate behavioral addiction, it's like, whenever you feel guilty about it, then you know that you might have this moderate behavioral addiction. So there's that interesting, like tinge of guilt, I think that signals, Hey, maybe we are actually somewhat addicted to these technologies. Yeah. And if in the end of the day, if it's the first thing we do in the morning and it's the last thing we do before we go to bed, I think it, it opens up the conversation of not only about this moderate addiction, but think about just how your brain is essentially working from start to finish of the day across that, you know, 16, 17 hours that you're awake. You're using it all day long for you know, on average, social media use is about two hours a day. Plus there's all the other technology use. You're doing it first thing. You're doing it last thing. The thing I relate to, um, and it is really set up in this next clip, is the fact that you get no time to rest your brain. Like it is working at a rate. And I'm old enough to remember life pre-internet. And I remember boredom. When I was really young and I was at elementary or what they call uh, in Australia and the UK primary school, I remember just time and, and boredom, which I think there's a whole new generation that never experiences that, that space. Um, so what, a, what a ma- an immense change in, in uh, social behavior so let's let's now have a listen to Cal Newport talking about where we're really getting to is the deprivation of solitude. What happens if you never give yourself any time alone with your own thoughts? Just it's you and your thoughts, you're bored, you're looking at the world around you, but you're not looking at input that was created by another person. Well, young people have push that experiment to the extreme because if you want to find a group of people who never have any time below with your thoughts it's really like the teenagers with their phones right they're on it constantly and we see the anxiety really jump up for that particular generation so i think that's the canary in the cold mind that's telling us when you start banishing time alone with your thoughts short circuits the brain and so what happens is you get anxious and i I think as a culture Mm -hmm. we have this background hub of anxiety that we've just become used to like yeah you just kind of always feel a little bit anxious but a lot of this is really just we're short-circuiting the brain because this brain was not meant to be processing input from other people 
all day long, right? I mean, this is not what our brain evolved for. So it's, it's crossing some wires in there. So we're all a little bit frazzled. We're all a little bit anxious. And we don't realize it's probably self-imposed. Huh. This self-imposed overstimulation, overactivation mm-hmm. of the brain. Again, the, the kind of scientific angle is really interesting. Going back to the caveman days, so to speak, our social circles were very intimate and small. And here we are now exposing ourselves to to hundreds, if not thousands, or in some cases, hundreds of thousands and millions of inputs of other social beings. And it's, uh, as Cal's saying, you know, it's it's overloading yeah. uh, our capacity to to understand it all. Do you do you ever have this ex- experience? Which which what I have is that you know when my like I have a naturally curious brain. I'm sure that's why both of us make this 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 podcast. But I have these moments where I don't want to read any news. I don't want to listen to a podcast. Don't want to listen to music. I get these moments, particularly when I'm like um, getting to meetings and places and, and, and on the go. I have these moments where I'm acutely aware of I don't want any inputs. Like I just... Mm-hmm need time to think. I had a moment like that this week where I was uh, going to the office in the morning and I had a lot to do. And I just needed like some thinking solitude time just to process in order to get ready for the day. And even the thought of some gentle background music felt like too much. Like I just needed some solitude and reflection. Do you ever have those moments where you just like, no inputs? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny because on the one hand, I am like an over-consumer. Uh, of, same, same. Uh, specifically of podcasts. I have over a hundred podcasts that I am subscribed to. I don't automatically download all the episodes, but I kind of search or browse through uh, over a hundred different podcasts to to satiate my uh, my podcast needs. And so I listen to them a lot, you know, often when I'm walking to and from work or walking the dog. A challenge that I have given myself recently, inspired by Cal, and I'm going to issue the challenge to you and, and to our listeners, is whenever you find yourself in a situation where you're waiting along with other people, don't pick up and use your phone. Mm. And notice how many people are using their phone and how few people are having a conversation. And what if, what if you decided to just strike up a conversation with the person next to you, or even as, as, uh, as you're saying, you know, have a moment to yourself. So an example of this was, I went to the dentist today and you go into the waiting room and not only are the people there waiting on their phones, but the people behind the receptions desk are on their phones. So it's not just the people waiting, it's the people working that are on their phones. And I was sitting there very conscious being like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. use my phone. I'm just going to sit here and wait. And it's just, it's so, it's so pervasive that just being mindful of it, I think can help us begin to rewire that moderate behavioral addiction yeah. Uh, yeah. to, yeah, just, you know, to be more mindful and, and, and understand how pervasive the use is and how automatic it can be. And so taking those intentional moments where you're, you're not using it and kind of paying attention to others who are, and not in a judgmental way, just, just notice it. I think, well, it, at least for me, it's helped 
stop me from continually reaching into my pocket to, to pull out yeah, my phone. Yeah. Um, you know, just to build on that, one of the things that I've done is I've moved all social media into a uh, folder on my phone and off the homepage. And my usage has dropped dramatically just by... Oh, but Kyle even has we have a great clip from Cal that's going to push you I even know, further I know. Mike, so hold on I'm too moderately <laughs> addicted to do what he's doing but look we're addicted okay Cal's confirmed that we just don't have enough time to like think and process in solitude but it doesn't stop there this next clip he gets into oh my gosh look at the impact this is having on how we think feel and experience friendship you talk about consolidate texting and you said phones have become woven into a fraught sense of obligation and a friendship being a friend means being on call, tethered to your phone, ready to be attentive online. It's true. I mean, it's all the time, right? Uh, the, your friends, family, like, why aren't you answering the text? Right? Mm-hmm. All, yeah. the, all, the, all the texts are going on. <laughs> or they do the question mark, like, hello. hello and you're yeah. like, um, I stepped away from my phone for 10 minutes. Relax. Yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been five minutes. Yeah. Well, well, here's one of the things, again, we know is that Social connections are sort of at the center of human flourishing, right? Like social mm-hmm. connections are so crucial that like our social system is connected to our pain centers, right? That we, we, we actually, the same center that makes us feel physical pain comes into play when we feel isolated or lonely, right? So it's really important. So how do you best, you know, satisfy that drive for social connection? Well, if you're sacrificing time and attention on behalf of a relationship, so it's like, I actually... I went to where you are. I'm giving up some of my time. I'm making a sacrifice for you to come to you. We're going to do something together. I'm, I'm showing you a commitment. I'm actually sort of making some sacrifice for you. Those type of connections are really strong. And we feel really good about it. And when you replace it with what psychologists call social stacking, which is the stuff that requires almost no sacrifice of time and attention, I just hit like on your thing mm-hmm. or dropped a comment or sent you a quick text, it doesn't give you the same satisfaction. And so we get this sort of paradoxical results in the research literature where people who use social media more end up lonelier. And the reason is, is because they think what they're doing out here, it feels like this is being social, but the, the sort of deep social centers in our brain really want you to be sacrificing on, you know, it, it, with someone. I took time out of my day. I'm sitting down with you. I'm talking with you face-to-face. Mm-hmm. That's what it's craving. So if you replace that with the easier stuff, you end up paradoxically lonelier because there's this deep part of your brain that doesn't know about text messages. It doesn't know about Instagram that says, well, we haven't been social today at all. Mm-hmm. Huh. Our brain doesn't know that social media isn't social. <laughs> that This is my s- second most favorite clip of the show. This social stacking, this was such a big aha for me when I first heard it. We're effectively replacing the bountiful, plentiful, rich experience of sitting, being with friends and chatting and connecting with these low effort, low cost likes right? And so the greatest irony is we're doing less of the meaningful stuff and more of the crap stuff. No wonder we're feeling more lonely in this hyper-connected, hyper-social world. I mean, Mm. huge insight for all our listeners. This is massive and it just reframes not only your personal life, but every business in some way, shape or another is involved in social media. So take a moment to think about how this reflects on how you might see social media as a platform to connect with customers and partners and employees. And it, and it really is something, it's an insight you can use in many different parts of your life. Mm. It, it's probably the best example of deceptive marketing ever, the, the term social media. 
<laughs> it, I'm like, going to go out on a limb and say that. <laughs> it, it, it's already a mislead just in, in, in the title itself. I mean, that's great. Yeah. And uh, just, uh, again, going back to, and I'm a total geek about this, you know, evolutionary psychology and, and neuroscience Cow saying that the research says that our brains do not recognize these kinds of social media activities as social activities from like a core fundamental human perspective. And, and so it's, you know, no wonder that uh, you can spend all this time uh, interacting on social media, but still feel lonely. And what he starts to, and, and actually in your comment, what you really get us to is behind this very a multi-dimensional problem of addiction, no time to think. It affects our friends and our family. And this Oh, it's all about the Benjamins. Oh, yeah, baby. We are talking about Jerry Maguire moment, show me the money. So now we're going to move into the next chapter of the show because we are going to expose cows thinking around the business and what the true cost of all this social media is. And uh, where we're going to start is we're think about the device itself and, and how you might uh, see business and, and financial gain from the device. So let's have a listen to Cowport talking about how money is made from the device. And when you, you know look what at your else? screen you time, look, sometimes it looks crazy. But right? that's all you got to do. Look at your screen mm-hmm. time and you'll realize you're not looking at stuff that is actually of value or most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time it's just social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Apple, see, this is smart. Apple added that screen time. Because if you think about it, Apple is not directly wrapped up in the attention economy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they sell the devices, but they don't, they don't have the products don't make money the more you use it. Android, their competitor, Android's owned by Google. And Google's deep in the attention economy. They make money off of getting your attention, and that's his competitor. So Apple says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start adding tools to the to the Apple products that are going to get you off your phone more. You know what that is? is that's just actually like a really smart competitive move because Android can't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, their, their, their whole business is built around— it's based on you going online and They want in. you to look at things. Right. And Apple, they are trying yeah. to be more responsible about people using <clears throat> their phones. I feel like—and it was in a response, right, to uh, people complaining about— people being so addicted to their phones. Yeah, well, Apple had some of its major investors push back mm-hmm. and say, you got to do something about it. They're looking at teenagers that are looking at these things all the time. Teenagers are getting mental health problems. The activist investors told Apple, like, hey, you got to do something about this. Right. Yeah, they it listen. Hmm. I think it's fascinating that the investor community uh, had to step in and say, hey, you know, we're all about making money, but this something feels a little bit wrong about this. Yeah, so they mentioned screen time there. So I just opened my screen time, and my um, my daily average last week was just on my iPhone alone was two hours and forty one minutes per day. Interesting, huh? That's that still seems like a little low to me. I feel like some people's. Would be much much higher, but I I can't look at mine because I was on vacation, so I was, I was out of out of service. But you know the 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 interesting thing I just did well if I slept for eight hours and it was two hours on my phone, it's already taken ten hours out of the day, so I've only got fourteen hours left to do everything else in my life. Uh, and admittedly, I do some of my work on my phone, but it, it's just a, a a big reminder. I'd I'd love to hear like. From one of our listeners, who's got the biggest screen time average uh, out there? Um, and just, I'm, I'm really keen to hear how people are using their devices. But we mentioned something here, which is 
the the business design behind the business. And this next clip is Cal's research is so good. He's going to kind of paraphrase and talk us through around a whistleblower who was from Google and who gave us some really interesting uh, insights on how businesses really woke up to the financial opportunity in social media and devices. So let's have Cal Newport talking about the social media whistleblower. One of the first things you break down in the book is uh, what a Silicon Valley whistleblower said about social media addiction and compared it to a whistleblower in the tobacco industry. Can you explain a little bit of that? Yeah, well, this is what's interesting about smartphones and social media. I mean, we, we think that looking at the phone all the time is fundamental to the technology. Like, that's the way you're supposed to use it. It's not the way we used to use it. It's not the way we used iPhones when they first came out. It's not the way we used social media when it first came out. It was to make phone calls and listen to music. Make phone calls, listen to music. And social media, you would, you would post something and maybe come back later that week and see if someone else had posted something. Mm-hmm. Then they re-engineered the experience so that it would be all about social approval indicators coming to you all day long. Right? So every time you hit on the app, am I getting a like? The like button wasn't there the mm-hmm. early days. So I have favorites. Am I getting tagged in photos? That was on purpose because they realized if they could have something you could see about yourself every time you hit the app on your phone, you'd get a slot machine effect. And people get devastated when they post a picture and they don't get enough likes. And they're like, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And Tristan, so Tristan Harris, this whistleblower from Google, uh, he claims that Instagram was even artificially holding back the favorites on the photos because they had studied the reinforcement schedules from slot machines and realized Ooh. if you sometimes see nothing and you sometimes see a lot, it's much more compulsive to come back. And so like a lot of what I'm arguing is this idea that you have to use the phone all the time. That's not fundamental to the technology. That was essentially engineered by a small number of companies because mm-hmm. they had to get those revenue numbers up before their IPOs. Now, are we talking about the, the phone self, the internet being bad, or just the social media, social media. element yeah. of it? It's, it? It's the social media element, but not even the social media element. It's the engineered social media experience that gets you to look at the phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And I try to separate those things. I mean, I think the internet's great. Mm-hmm. I think smartphones are a miracle. I think the ability to connect with people online is a huge innovation. The thing that gets me upset is how a small number of companies took that good behavior and used it as the foundation to get us to do this all day long. They turned our phones into slot machines. How frightening is that? Tobacco? And slot machines in the same sentence as social media engineering. Like, does that not put it on a whole different dimension of bad and ugly? Yeah, you know, my the, the science fiction uh, hopeful writer and myself, you know, goes to this dystopian future where the vice police are not only, you know, policing the traditional vices, but also uh, how these digital technologies are, have infected our brains because they've become so <laughs> addictive, um, you know, thinking like Minority Report and, and whatnot. But uh, it, it's it's true that it's engineered, and it's engineered in the same way that the casinos are engineered to make more money. And again, it's it's not necessarily the the dollars or the nickels or whatever that you're putting into the mm. into the machines, but it's your attention, which is very very valuable, valuable and scarce all at the same time, and um, it is. So when when you hear Cal talking, it makes you realize how much the power that, that people in technology companies wield. And what we've seen here, just to expand this into some themes that have come up both in the show and beyond, 
I mean, it was definitely last year was like the worst year ever for social media and the big tech titans like Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, all of them had the toughest time in recent uh, history around privacy, overexpansion, some might say ego. Let's just have a look at what happened this morning with the CEO of uh, WeWork being fired. Like, There's all these uh, unicorns have got themselves into all sorts of trouble. But together with this and, and our privacy breaches, what we're seeing is it's not all rosy. And when you hear the level of engineering for our attention that is happening, it comes back to your earlier point, Chad, for social media, when we don't purchase the product, when we don't pay for the product, we become the product and we are exploited in our privacy and our attention. And oh my gosh, um, this this leads us to a whole new world of implications, doesn't it, Chad? Yeah, and we've got a great clip from Cal, really just sharing the the true impact of our excessive phone use. There's a, a part in, in our book, Everything That Remains, and it's an actual scene to have. I was driving on I-71 to Cincinnati, and it's bumper-to-bumper traffic, some of the worst traffic in the country is in Cincinnati. And as I'm going south, I'm stopped. We're going zero miles an hour. I look to my right, and the person in the driver's seat has a newspaper over the wheel <laughs> <Love it. laughs> and, and a bowl of cereal in their oh, hand, man. like the worst kind of multitasking here. Yeah. And just milk is dripping down their chin as they're reading the paper, and and we looked at that like, oh, that's, that's not right. Yeah. But now we look at it and say, oh yeah, I do that too. Yeah. So, so that's We've normalized it. So that's a problem, right? Lack of solitude. The other problem is taking this sort of social processing hardware that again is incredibly specialized. It's the, the story of our species success is that we have these social supercomputers yeah. that can do this. Yeah. Like I can, I can talk with you guys. I can look at your facial expressions. I can practice limbic consonants where I try to match the pacing. I'm doing something called mentalizing right now where I'm building a model of your mind in my mind so that mm. I can test against this model, how you would react to different things. I mean, right. It's a social supercomputer, yeah. but it's evolved for, uh, I'm with people, mm-hmm. you know, people I've known for a long time. We're in person, we're interacting. Mm-hmm. This just messes with it. Yeah. It doesn't know how to deal with like a comment, you know, like a bad tweet or something like that, right? Because I mean, we treat it as if the person's right across Because from our us. brain doesn't know the difference, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh my God, like someone in my tribe is really mad at me. Like I'm going to get a spear in the back, like red alert, right? right. But yeah. it's some rando on, on Twitter or the likes coming in that I get more likes or not likes. Our, our brain is seeing this as like we're around the campfire mm-hmm. and I can see that, you know, the, the tribe mates are unhappy with me. Like this is, this is a serious issue, right? Mm-hmm. I, I need to manage the social dynamic. So this brain does not know at all how to deal with this sort of artificial sociality that was sort of, again, schemed up in a yeah. dorm room at Harvard, you know, 15 years ago, right? It's not some grand experiment. So that's also, and then the final thing is we're losing the ability to concentrate. Mm. And this is one of the issues, I mean... I've uh, totally uh, seen that. Attention uh, spans are, this, yeah. this has economic consequences. I mean, it has huge consequences to quality of life, for sure. Mm-hmm. If you can't just be present in a moment, you can't concentrate on something that you're seeing, if you can't concentrate in conversation, it's having economic consequences. I mean, non-industrial productivity metrics have been stagnant throughout this last 10 years of all this technological innovation. We have a whole generation of people entering the workforce that are incredibly uncomfortable Mm. with sustaining attention at the same time that our economy is shifting more and more towards the thing we do is have brains concentrate and produce value. We're we're going towards this high level knowledge economy where this is like the most important resource we have. This is our oil fields, right? Mm -hmm. And we're getting worse and worse at using it. So he's right. I mean, Sachs is right about this, Mm -hmm. is that what's happening to our brain is is really non-trivial. And you're right, TV did this too. But you only what you watch TV in the evening. So there you have it. 
we're we're in the idea and knowledge economy and we're being designed to the point that we're unable to concentrate and to put our attention towards thinking in some sort of meaningful way. Ugh, I think we have officially entered the valley of darkness here, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this point is one of my favorites uh, of Cal's. It comes across really strongly in the book. There's a fundamental socioeconomic argument for doing everything that he prescribes, which we're going to get to right after this. We've got some really great clips talking about the solutions that he advocates for. But I mean, you said it right, like we're in an idea economy, and yet we're being designed to not be able to concentrate. And I think I probably just skirted, you know, I'm, I'm just old enough to like, I think, fully miss the generation that's going to be most affected by this. Right. The, the, the internet was, you know, I grew up with the internet. So there was a, there was a time before the internet when I was alive, but <laughs> this fundamental inability um, of young people to function in this idea economy because, you know, they can't concentrate, I think is going to have some real uh, drastic consequences once these people are yours and in, in my age. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, his his first book, Deep Work by Cal Newport, was really, if there was one practice that I could share with you and our listeners as to how might you succeed in a knowledge or an idea economy, deep work. You've got to carve out a couple of hours a day where there's no interruptions and you think, you write, you produce, you record, you make, whatever it is that's your thing, you've got to make that time. Too many people I know, I work with, clients that I help are literally back-to-back meetings every single day. And my only question to you is, when do you think, when do you work, when do you do deep work? It's just, it's not a sustainable way of working. And if outside of your back-to-back meetings, all you're doing is being on a device, I mean, geez, you got to think, you got to think there's too much going on in the world. Business is moving faster than ever. You got to be able to carve out thinking time. It's, it's essential, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for, for those of you that, that didn't know, our previous episode was Deep Work by, by Cal Newport. Uh, you can also just Google maker schedule, manager schedule, uh, and you'll find an article by Paul Graham, someone else that we've profiled here on the show, uh, which is a, a short essay on how to do exactly what you're, you're saying, Mike, is being sure that you're making time to do the work you know, that's your unique ability. And then also kind of, you know, take some meetings because, uh, you know, we all got to we got to go to some meetings. We can't get out of all of them. <laughs> now, on, on this note, it feels like we may be turning the corner. It's perhaps time to, to look at some solutions, some hacks, some tips, tricks, habits. Where do we want to start the, 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 our ascent out of the Valley of Darkness, Chad? Uh, well, one that I came to just as we were exiting the discussion of screen time, I don't know if any of you listeners know this, but you can actually set time limits to apps from screen time where iOS will notify you and kick you out of the app if you've used it too much. So there was a time, I think it was about early last year, where I was watching a lot of YouTube clips on my phone. And I just set a time limit for 30 minutes. And after I'd watched it for 30 minutes, I could not could not uh, get back into it. And uh, now I don't even have the YouTube app on my phone. So there's one uh, Chad special uh, tip there before we get into uh, what we have here from, from Cal. 
Digital minimalism is a philosophy of technology use. And it says what you should do is wipe the slate clean of the various apps and services that you haphazardly downloaded or just started using at various parts in your digital life, and instead rebuild it from scratch, but very intentionally, so that the tools that you actually use in your digital life directly serve things that you very care about. When it comes to social media, I think you have to understand what's actually happening with this product, which is this is an experience that has evolved over time from what it used to be, which was a relatively static way for you to post information about yourself and see information from people you care about. It shifted from that into an experience in which they are sending a stream of social approval indicator about yourself at you all day long. Likes and retweets and tags of photos that are constantly coming at you delivered through this app. And that every time you hit this button, you might see some new indication that someone else was thinking about you. That type of behavior, that experience, is something that was not innovated because it made users happier. This is an experience that has been engineered to make you a compulsive user of your phone and therefore should be something that makes you wary. Quitting social media, it's political in the sense that you're taking a stand against the exploitation that a small number of companies are now perpetrating on billions of users. But I think what they did, which was saying, okay, we're going to build a walled garden in which the internet's going to exist. We're going to build our own private internet where we'll make it very easy for you to actually connect with other people, to figure out what's going on. Come into our walled garden. It's fine. We've made it easy. It's free. Don't worry about it. And then once we're trapped in there, they start saying, now we're going to watch every single thing you do. We're going to reduce you to over 19,000 data points. And then we're going to exploit this data to try to get you to look at this as much as possible, give us as much data as possible, squeeze out every last dollar of value out of your time and attention. This is a serious move that they make. And so I think it's an act of sort of uh, economic activism, as well as a reclaiming of your humanity to say, I don't necessarily want to be the target of this. And so I think there's a lot of people who are coming around to this idea now. Social media doesn't equal the internet. And we can harness the excitement of all these innovations without having to be exploited by a $500 billion market cap company. Hmm. It's so fascinating. Like the challenge to reclaim humanity and just start again. And it's almost, it's like, it's like a cleanse, right? Like just detox, cleanse, purge yourself, and then try and be more in control of what sort of tools you want to introduce. I think this is such a powerful lesson from Cal, don't you think? Yeah, I'm sitting here holding my phone again to to see how many apps I have on my phone. So nearly all of my home screen is folders. So that's nine uh, nine icons inside of another twenty icons. So you know that's over that's over a hundred you know one hundred fifty two hundred apps. So oh, so. I'm going to go even further than deleting social media from my phone. I think I might get rid of of every app on here and uh, and re-download them. I'm not going to do it now oh. on the show, of course. No, but, uh, <laughs> but this week, I think that's yeah, because that's that's too many apps. It's too many things vying for my attention. So while I don't have Twitter or Facebook or Instagram on my phone, I still have other things that suck my attention. So I'm curious. Um, I'll report back on how many uh, how many apps I have post. A post cleanse here, I I, I got to do it. I mean, Cal, you and I have been listening to Cal. We've been reading Cal. We gotta we gotta put his uh, his practices in into motion. 
I, I, I honestly uh, think that the big turn here, the, 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 the light at the end of the tunnel is either get them off your homepage, get them off your phone completely. Whatever you need to, to start again is a chance for you to reclaim so much of your time and attention back. And remember, time and attention is the most scarce, the most valuable resource in the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's also why we're so thankful that we get all this great feedback from our listeners and so many people listen to the show uh, because we know that your, your time is precious. Um, but we've just got a couple more clips left from Cal, which really, and please hang on, I promise you it's worth it because my favorite clip is the, is the last clip of the show. But before we get to that, I think we need to kind of frame what what's on the upside here. And it's not always easy, but we give up a lot of our time to social media and to our devices. But there is this opportunity to reclaim your, your leisure time and the leisure experience. And it's not as easy as you might think. So let's have a listen to Cal Newport talking about reclaiming leisure. Yeah, so that's the hard part about all this, right? So I, I walk people through this you know, redo your digital life, get back down to what matters, get some rules around how you use it. Now they have all this time free. That's actually really problematic because it's not at all obvious. What do you do if like the average American uses social media, something like two hours a day, like, what do you do with those two hours? Mm-hmm. It's actually a kind of a hard question. And a lot of people that, that did this experiment in the book had a hard time with it. Read right? this book. Is one thing you could do. You could read. I, I actually, yeah, you could read the book, right? Uh, but that's only going to take you so many hours, right? And so in the book I actually get into, you know, what uh, are the things we crave as humans? So a lot of this book is about, like, what do we actually crave as humans and what are the ways that some of this tech has maybe diverted that, right? And how do we get back to the things we crave? Because what we want to do is we want to be happy, we want to be satisfied, we want to be successful. Um, and so one of the things we crave is really high-quality activities. So things we do or participate in that are skilled, that maybe require some appreciation, that, that we uh, enjoy just for the sake of the quality of the thing, right? Like, I, this is something I do or something I listen to, but something I'm an expert on, I appreciate it. I just like it for its intrinsic quality, right? We need that because life is hard, has all these ups and downs. But if you could, if you could just appreciate certain things, like this is just really good and I appreciate this, a high-quality activity, it, it helps buffer us from a lot of that. And so the book talks about... You need to get more of that back in your life. You, when, you, when you take two hours a day of swiping out of your life, try to fill some of that two hours with something that's like a, an activity that's high quality, something that you're good at, something that requires skill, something that you're getting better at, something where you can really appreciate. And when you do that, you feel the shift in how you feel. Like that, that background anxiety really starts to dissipate and you have more of a calmness or a peace. When you start replacing more of the frenetic tapping at the little glowing screen with, you know, I spent an hour today or two hours today doing something that means something to me. Right. Or it's really important or it's a skill that I've been building or it's just really quality or it's something I just really enjoy. Like learning how to cook better. Learning how to cook better. Yeah. I have a billion cookbooks at home that I don't use. That's that's a great example. I learned how to cook <laughs> or like it's athletic. Right. You're, you're like, I'm going to learn jujitsu. Right. I mean, <laughs> how many people do you know now who do that these days? Right. I'm going to go learn like Brazilian jujitsu, but they get so much out of it because it's like a couple hours of, of you know, I'm doing something that's hard. And I could uh, right. right. appreciate learn how to put it. Put yeah. Some drywall so I don't have to pay all that money to hire somebody else. Figure out how to do electricity go. for the lights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll go as far as uh, teaching myself plumbing, but uh, <laughs> i i love I love this idea of reclaiming leisure, and I think he's a, I think he's really onto something when he says we don't know what to do, we don't know how to be bored, as as you said at the very beginning, yeah. and it can be kind of paralyzing. And of course, the easiest thing for us to do is pick up the tension the tension hog uh, of our phone. 
but there's so many rich hobbies and activities and people that we can be spending our attention on that would be so much more enriching mm. for us. And I think for me, it's it's not replacing that full two hours, but like how how can you maybe replace it in you know, 10 or 15 minutes? So instead of two hours of social media, maybe you spend 15 more minutes helping your kid uh, with homework or 15 more minutes uh, at the dinner table, you know, with your partner or significant other and not, not have to like, you know, go cold turkey and then replace it, uh, with, with, with full on boredom or, or something else. Exactly. I, well, I, and I think that this leads us to what, what, what do you think if we could get, um, a bunch of, uh, your friends together, Chad, who were high use, like really high usage on social media and we could, reduce their social media uh, and phone use by like 50%. What do you think is the one thing they could spend that empty time with to bring them happiness? Like think about your friends. If you could slash and burn all of that excessive social use, what would you think is the one thing they could all start doing with that time that would bring them great happiness and fulfillment? I think just having more conversations, face-to-face conversations. Mm. Um, you know, it's easy for those of us that have significant others. Mm. We come home yeah. uh, from our days at work and sometimes we fall into a routine. But um, I think even if even if you just have a dog, right? Or, uh, or a pet spending more time with another being. Yeah. Like that, I think Cal talking about like, our brains are hardwired to be social in-person beings, not social over the internet right. beings. Uh, our brain doesn't know the difference and that's why we get so confused and why we can be so lonely, even though, you know, we have so many of these online friends. So yeah, I would love to be more intentional about just having fun and interesting conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he really hits the nail on the head. We've replaced those meaningful conversations with just likes, you know, and that social stacking that we talked about earlier, that that's the huge insight here. But as you rightly pointed out, what you'd want for all your friends and what we'd want for our listeners is just to get back into some good old-fashioned conversation. And it's with that that we have one more thought from Cal Newport, which is based on how we might reclaim conversation. So the way I see it is, you know, what your braid counts as true socialization is in-person or analog, right? I hear your voice. You hear my voice. We're going back and forth. If I could see you, it's even better. Uh, if I could see body language, if, if we could actually have you in a context, that's what I call conversation. That's what our brain treats as real socializing. And so the way I see it is the, the, phone, the, the great advantage of the phone for socializing is logistics, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it much easier to find out, hey, where are you across the street? Let's meet up. I'm over here. Or you're in town. I see on social media, like you're visiting. Great. Let's get together, right? It's great for logistics. But you shouldn't think about it as replacing this, mm-hmm. right? And so if, if you change your mindset, so you're like, well, I'm actually analog or face-to-face with someone that's socializing. This is logistics. It's not bad, but it's just logistics. It doesn't count. Then that's going to get you doing more of this. And as far as I could tell from sort of my research or the other research literature, it makes you a lot happier, right? I mean, you got to be sacrificing time and attention on behalf of family, close friends, and community. You do those things, you feel like a part of something. You feel very social. If you're not doing those things... You don't, no matter how much you're, you know, saying happy birthday under someone's <laughs> Facebook post. Yeah, it's it's about having those face-to-face conversations. I mean, as as Cal says, it's investing that time that makes, that gives, you know, going all the way back to our most popular episode, Simon Sinek's 
finding your why, like those conversations and that social interaction gives us purpose, right? Because, you know, that's our try. And fulfillment. Yeah. And, and fulfillment. Yeah, exactly. You know, they feel so good. It always feels so good when you've had friends over because, oh, wow, it's been ages since I've seen them. And you just feel so deeply satisfied that, that no social post will ever provide to you. Look, there it is, Chad. I mean, I think uh, it's been, it's almost been going, like going to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. It's like <laughs> we've admitted the, I don't know, what is it, 10, 12 steps? Yeah, we're pulling out our phones, looking at our screen times and how many apps yeah, we we've have. We've admitted our addiction. <laughs> we, we lack solitude. Our friendships are all skew with. Uh, business is making a pretty penny at huge, uh, huge impact, akin to that of gambling, casino, and the tobacco industries. But there's hope. There's there's real hope. Like delete stuff, move it off the homepage, reclaim leisure and conversation. I mean, what a powerful bunch of ideas that I think that affects every single person on this planet uh, that has a device in their pocket. I mean, pay attention, right? Yeah. And this book is a great kind of corollary to deep work. So if maybe you're finding trouble making that time for that deep work, you can dip here into digital minimalism uh, to free up some of that time. And then you can apply it towards doing that deep work, which, as you said, Mike, is really how those of us uh, that work in the knowledge and idea economy mm. uh, can provide value. Yeah. So um, that's the second I installment of our our wonderful friend, Mr. Cal Newport. And honestly, I do propose the idea to all of our listeners that I do think that he is the the, the next Simon Sinek. I, I really believe Cal is is onto something in a major way, and I think there's there's so much to gain from his thinking and his writing. He's he's wonderful. We've got two more uh, uh, installments of Cal Newport. We've got one of his other books, So Good They Can't Ignore You, as well as a sort of a best of uh, Cal Newport show. He's written a couple of books around how to be a great student and how to learn. Again, wonderful topics right up at our alley. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty more Cal Newport, and you can find all of that on moonshots.io. So how are you enjoying Cal Newport uh, so far, Chad? I think he's, he, like I said, I feel like he might be your long lost brother. Uh, you might <laughs> want to check uh, Ancestry.com. It sounds a lot like you. Oh, it's, it, it's great revisiting him again because while I have gotten rid of social media, I, there's, like I said, I've got almost 200 apps on my phone. I, I know I can get rid of even more. So for those of you that want to take up the challenge to do more deep work and do a bit of a digital declutter, don't forget you can reach Mike and I at hello at moonshots.io. And uh, all the clips and everything we mentioned here on the show, you can also find at moonshots.io. Yep. So thank you to you, Chad. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you uh, to all the people that have been uh, reaching out to us, sending us emails, uh, doing all that good stuff. We do really appreciate. We hope you've enjoyed an adventure into digital minimalism and detoxing a little bit from our social and device addictions. And we hope that you found some clues on how you might get on the other side of that. Uh, that's it for the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap. <laughs>